Well, I don't know about uh, how you're enjoying the book of Acts, but I'm enjoying it immensely. And I'd encourage you to, it's kind of hard when you're studying Acts and Galatians, they're both great books, and uh, to study them side by side. I wonder if you see any, any correlation there. Do you see any connecting links between the book of Acts and the book of Galatians? One obvious one is the, the difficulty that the Jewish people had to accept the Gentiles. That surfaces in both of, of these books. Today we're going to jump in the middle of the sermon that we left off last week. So turn to Acts chapter 2, and we will pick it up in verse, um, I believe it's verse 15. No, verse 22 is where we're going to pick it up from last week. I'm already getting my Galatians 2 and Acts 2 kind of confused in my mind. So verse 22. And last week we saw how Peter used the book of Joel to give an interpretation of Pentecost. Pentecost was that great event when Jesus ascended to heaven, was exalted by God, and the Holy Spirit was poured out on, on His people. But what does that mean? The wind, the flames, the speeches, the tongues, the glossolalia. What did it all mean? What did it represent? If you were here last week, you remember we took you, uh, referred to the book of Joel as an Old Testament passage that particularly prophesied that this gift would happen. Today we're going to look at it somewhat differently as the fulfillment of Jesus' life. So today is going to be very much a Jesus sermon. And hopefully, as we're going through this, you will be getting the key stages in your mind, because as you witness to people, you are to witness about Jesus. So look at Peter today as witnessing about his Lord. And see how he does it. Would you do it the same way? We're all called, all of us that are saved in this room are called to share Jesus with a dying world. You want Jesus to come? Jesus needs to be shared. Let's pray as we open God's Word. Father in heaven, we give you praise, honor, and glory. We thank you, thank you for this gorgeous weather. We thank you for the precious gift of your Holy Spirit who, who represents the Lord Jesus Christ on planet Earth. And Lord, we represent Jesus too. We should do. And so help us to understand uh, why Peter said what he did about the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to understand the key key uh, markers in the life of Jesus Christ so that we can share him too to a dying world. This is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, in Acts chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. What chapter did I say? Acts chapter 2 and verse... 22, that's a little bit of a tongue twister if you say it very fast 30 times. Men of Israel, listen to this. So it's Peter's explanation. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, signs, and wonders, which God did among you through him as you yourselves know. 
Somebody asked in the Bible class that I was in this morning in Galatians, well, what was there in the life of Jesus that we should focus on? Can't talk about everything in the life of Jesus. The Bible doesn't do that. But what are the main things we should focus on? Well, notice what Peter focuses on in this sermon. Jesus' life and ministry. Miracles, wonders, and signs are evidence that God worked through him. He was accredited by God. And then he expects that most of them in the audience know that. Well, there would be different degrees of knowing that. Remember, some of these Jews had come from long distances, but it wasn't a secret that Jesus of Nazareth had been crucified, lived and crucified just a, a short time before this event. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. Now we have to slow down there and think about that. We say, who killed Jesus? Well, we could say that Judas betrayed him. So we could lay some of the blame on Judas. We could certainly lay the, the, the blame on some of the Jewish leaders or some of the Roman soldiers. We could lay the blame on our sins, taking him there. But notice first, you always start with God. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. It was part of the plan of God before the foundations of this world were ever laid. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit had an agreement that the Lord Jesus Christ would come to this earth and pay the penalty for sin, for your sins and for my sins. And this is one of the main reasons why we love Him. Because it was a voluntary sacrifice on His part. It's not like the Father had to force the Son it must have been hard for the Father to allow His Son to come and die for us. But Jesus came to this dark world. All the forces of evil attacked Him every day of His life. And somehow, way, He kept that close connection with God. He lived the perfect life. Everything that was demanded by God of man, Jesus did in thought, word, action. So he fully met all the demands of God. That's his life. That's his ministry. So when you're witnessing to people, you might just want to take one or two things from Jesus' life that have been meaningful to you. But at least you introduce people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus is a fascinating character, don't you think so? I would encourage you to take people through Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. Introduce them to Jesus through that book. Get the most up-to-date, easy-to-read translation you can find. I, I was noticing in the, uh, in the Sabbath School Quarterly, the study guide, that they're using the ESV. Did any of you notice that? ESV, English Standard Version. Don says, what's that? Well, it's one of the newer translations. But here's a biblical scholar giving us the book of Galatians, and he feels comfortable using that translation. So find something that works for you, that makes it as clear and as simple. The less jargon, the better. And introduce them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So God's plan, God's purpose, 
was to send the Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. Jesus agreed to do that, voluntarily did that, and gave his life for you and for me. And by the way, as we're talking about his life, his death, his resurrection, his exaltation, then, then even though Peter doesn't do it here, you have to go to Paul to find this, but apply that to yourself. Well, what does his life mean for me? Well, it means that his obedience and his righteousness is credited to me. I don't deserve that, do I? I'm a sinner heading for hell, but I trust in Jesus and his life, his obedience is credited to me. In other words, God sees his obedience as covering you. So we talk about the robe of Christ's righteousness, right? So think of that as his life of obedience. God sees you in him, sees him in you. Now, the fact that I'm hearing no amens would in indicate to me you're not understanding what I'm saying. And maybe it is a little hard for our Western minds to get around this. It's, it's like he's the ambassador of God. So if the, if the ambassador of the United States, who is sent to, uh, let's pick on Iran this morning. If the ambassador of the United States says, hey, yeah, I agree with you. I don't, I don't like this uh, leader here. So I'm going to just punch him right on the nose. That is like you punching him on the nose because that ambassador represents the people of this nation, right? So Jesus Christ represents mankind. So his life, his obedience, his perfection credited to you. That And the important thing there is you may not feel that. You might not feel particularly perfect, righteous, or anything. But that's the way that God views you and that's the way that God treats you. Now, if I ended the sermon right there, it would be enough. But get a hold of these truths. They're given to you to give you comfort. Someone said in our class this morning, I like to be encouraged. Well, this is encouragement. The life of Christ credited to you. Wow, what a gift. So that's how you apply the Word of God. Peter doesn't bring out all these important points in his sermon, but he clearly shows the importance of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. All part of God's plan. And with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. So we very, very quickly, in just a few words, we have moved from the life of Jesus to the death of Jesus. All part and parcel of the same plan of God. And what was the significance of his death by nailing him on a cross? Well, Peter doesn't tell us because he jumps right into the resurrection. But again, apply the death to yourself. Jesus' death to sin becomes your death to sin. Paul makes a big deal about that in the book of Romans when he talks about how we should live. Your old life was a life of sin, right? Right? Is anybody out there today? So, he died to sin, you died to sin. But pastor, I have sin in my body, I do wrong things. Yeah, but that's just the remnants of your old life. That's not the real you anymore. That's the old you. That's going to die. 
It's going to go away. And if you lay your focus there, you will be discouraged. Because your body has not been emancipated yet. That happens when Jesus comes and gives us a new body like his own glorious body. Then there is no, nothing within your nature to gravitate towards sin. So yes, realize as a believer that sin is there, ready always to rear its ugly head, but there's no joy dwelling on that. You dwell upon the perfection of Christ, the death of Christ for you. So of course, the death of Christ is is a huge theme in in the Word of God, and and just to put it in a simple way, he, he, He died to pay the price for sin on Calvary's cross so that you and I do not have to pay that price. We all have to give an account to God, right? For the life that we have lived. Well, wouldn't you like to give an account where Jesus is is kind of first and foremost? His life, His death credited to you. When He lived, you lived. When He died, you died. And then immediately He jumps over in the next verse to the resurrection. Verse 24 of Acts 2 But God raised him from what? From the dead. And he makes a big deal about this. There's quite a few of these verses now that are going to talk about the significance of the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. Could death keep its grip on Jesus? No way. So how does Peter explain that? Well, God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Now, I'm sure there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. The man was sinless. He was the God-man. Probably lots of reasons. Again, he doesn't really go into them. But he does use David. Remember, it's a Jewish audience that he's speaking to. They have tremendous respect for David. Now, let me throw something in here, and you make sure that I, I mention it when I talk about uh, the significance of David. You have some verses in here that I think are very helpful with this whole question of the state of the dead. Now, I'm not saying that that's the reason that Peter put them in there. I'm sure he's focusing on David for other reasons. But you, as a Seventh-day Adventist, should be aware that an important passage on the state of the dead is in these verses. Let me see if you can find where they are. It was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, verse 25, I saw the Lord always before me, is quoting uh, the Old Testament now, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken, therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will fill me with joy in your presence. So then the question in the minds of the audience is, is David speaking about himself, or is David speaking about somebody else? Or maybe both. So you have to figure that out. And Peter's clearly going to lay the emphasis on the Lord Jesus Christ here. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. 
But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. So Peter's interpreting now this prophetic statement of the patriarch David, and he's applying it to who? The Lord Jesus Christ. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact. So there were plenty of believers who saw the Lord Jesus Christ in his risen form. You remember that was a problem, it was certainly a problem for Thomas. And it was a problem for others. When Jesus ascended up to heaven, they've seen Jesus in his bodily form. This is like the 120 now I'm talking about. Earlier we, we briefly looked at that. They hear Jesus, they see him slowly ascend up to heaven, and it says some had a tough time believing. Still. So he, had, he did ascend, and Peter's going to talk about that a little bit uh, later here. So, seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ. Verse 31, he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of that fact, exalted to the right hand of God. So now he's covered most of what he has to say on the resurrection, and he's talking about another great milestone in Jesus' life, the fact that he ascended, and he lays the emphasis here on his exaltation in heaven. Now, I'm not sure all of the things that Jewish people believed about the Messiah. It's probably a mixed bag. They didn't all believe the same thing on the Messiah. But he's showing by using these Old Testament, he used Joel, as we saw last week, and now he's using different psalms to show it was predicted, it was prophesied that this uh, Lord Jesus Christ would go through these stages, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his exaltation. Now, his exaltation is very important because he's trying to help them understand this gift of the Holy Spirit. And when Jesus ascended up to heaven, when heaven celebrated the gift that was given to mankind was the gift of the Holy Spirit. And there's not a person in this room that doesn't need the gift of the Holy Spirit. You can't get to first base without the Holy Spirit. So we're talking about something tremendously important that was not understood. Yes, they heard the wind and, and the, the flames. They saw the flames and, and the, the languages, but there was not understanding, clear understanding. It took the prophetic voice of Peter to give a clear explanation on what was the significance of these acts, these wonders of God. So when Christ ex was exalted in heaven, the tremendous gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out on earth. And therefore, once the gift is given to a few Jews, to just the elite group, to all, there is no distinction with God as far as the gift of the Holy Spirit is concerned. All who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Do we look for a second blessing? 
Those of you that are from a Pentecostal background, there's been a big emphasis on, on the second blessing. Well, I don't know about a second blessing. We need a third, a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth blessing. We need a blessing on a daily basis, a daily baptism of the Holy Spirit. But notice, it's very important to notice that the believer receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. When we get to the end of this passage, we will see two gifts that are emphasized, and one of them is the gift of the Holy Spirit. Anyway, he says here in verse 33, uh, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, the Lord said to my Lord, quoting another psalm now, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, before I forget, where was the text on the state of the dead? There you go. Debbie, I think it's Debbie that got it. Verse 29 says David died and was buried. And verse 34 was it? David did not what? David did not ascend to heaven. So you better believe that when I read Bible commentaries on Acts, I'm very interested to see how the Bible scholars deal with that passage. And I have some two or three excellent resources on, on the book of Acts. They don't pounce on it like we would as Seventh-day Adventists to say, yeah, yeah, that's what we've, we've always believed. We do not believe that when when a believer like David dies, that they go to heaven. Now, there may be some people in this room that says, well, I thought all Christians believe that. Well, there are some Christians that don't believe that. And one, one of those are Seventh-day Adventists. We do not believe that. What do we believe? Well, we believe that we, we yes, go to the grave, Sheol. We go to the ground, and we await what? We await the second coming of Jesus and the resurrection, the great resurrection. So what, what we can clearly see in the whole of the New Testament is a strong emphasis on resurrection. So if we all ascend up to heaven when we die, where, what would be the advantage of coming into an, an earthly form to be resurrected? If you're, spirit, if you're somehow in spirit form in heaven, what would be the advantage? Now, I'm sure there are some clever people that can come up with good answers for that, but will they be biblical answers? We're going by the Word of God here. We're not into philosophizing about these things or going with what the majority do. We're trying to understand what is emphasized in the Word of God. So David, just like millions of believers throughout the ages, is awaiting uh, his resurrection. He's not floating off in heaven uh, doing whatever these godly spirits are supposed to do in heaven. No, the believer awaits the second coming of Jesus and there will be a great resurrection day. And then, of course, on that resurrection day, God will give us a glorified body a body that is in total harmony where you're never going to be saying in heaven, hey, do you know that I had this, this bad thought and, and, and I'm sorry for this and I'm sorry for that. You're going to be in total harmony 
with your Creator. And so we await that great day when Jesus Christ comes back. And we'll be talking about the second coming of Jesus uh, this afternoon. What time? There you go, 2 o'clock. Okay. When the people heard this, they shrugged their shoulders and couldn't really be bothered. No, they were cut to the heart. In other words, the Word had made an impact on their lives. Just like I hope the Word is making an impact on your life. They cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's slow down here. This is a much misunderstood concept here. Conviction comes, again, the work of the Holy Spirit. Every stage of our lives where we feel drawn to Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. Where we come to Christ, the work of the Holy Spirit. Remember what we said on prior weeks. The Holy Spirit is doing the work of Jesus in our lives drawing us to Christ, attracting us to Christ, committing to the Lord Jesus Christ, being converted to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's as though if you and Jesus were alone on planet earth, that's exactly what Jesus would say, come to me, all you that are burdened and heavy laden. Now the Holy Spirit is doing that as the representative of the Lord Jesus Christ, drawing us to him. The Holy Spirit is the one that keeps us in Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who renews us and revives us. The Holy Spirit is the one that nudges you and says, hey, I want to take you from that direction of the old life of sin and take you in this direction, the new life of holiness and purity and righteousness. Will the Holy Spirit be taken from the believer when he's withdrawn from the earth? No. I am with you always, Jesus says through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so we, we, we have a lot that we could say about the importance of the Holy Spirit. But notice here, when these people say, what shall we do? Peter, John the Baptist, the Lord Jesus Christ, they all came with a message of repentance. What does repentance mean? It means changing your mind. Here, changing your mind about the Lord Jesus Christ. You've, you've considered Jesus as a criminal who deserves to be hung on a cross. Now reconsider Jesus. Isn't that what we're asking people to do when we witness to them? Reconsider your thoughts about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've never thought about Jesus. Well, hey, you just used his name. I heard you swear. It's amazing how much people talk about Jesus. But you tell them the right things about the Lord Jesus Christ. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. Now does repentance save us does baptism save us no but it's the fruitage of a belief and a trust in jesus it's like one of the first things that will happen to the believer they'll feel this sorrow for sin they'll want to follow jesus wherever he takes them and then when baptism where does baptism come in well if they know about baptism the spirit of god will say you need to be baptized And maybe God's Spirit is telling some of you here this morning, you need to repent. You need to reconsider your ways in Jesus. You need to get baptized. 
We have people knocking on our door saying, how do I become a Seventh-day Adventist? Well, you become a Seventh-day Adventist by coming to Jesus first. We don't want Seventh-day Adventists joining us who don't know Jesus. And two gifts that they will be given. This is the fulfillment of the promise. It's for everyone who believes in Christ. One, the forgiveness of sins in verse 38. And two, the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, he could have mentioned other things. And I don't know if everything is recorded here, what Peter said. I'm sure he did a lot of explaining and a lot of teaching. But these are two important gifts to to focus on. The forgiveness of your sins, is that important? Oh yes, how sweet it is to know that your sins, all of your sins, past, present, future sin, all of it is taken care of by the Lord Jesus Christ. How is it possible? Well, I don't know how it's possible, to be quite honest with you. To me, it's still an amazing truth. But it is truth. And the Holy Spirit will somehow work in your life to help you to come to understand that and to rejoice in it. Wow. Amanda Knox, when she's let out of an Italian jail, is she rejoicing or what? She's not going to understand all the ins and outs, how she got out of that prison. And I don't know whether she deserves it or not any more than I know if you or I deserve anything from God. I think the only thing we deserve, for sure, is hell. Because we're all sinners. The wages of sin is what? Eternal death. And yet God, in His mercy and in His grace and His great love, will forgive us and give us the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children. It is not for a select few. It is not for the very religious or unreligious. It's for everyone. Now you think in this in, in this room today, have you looked at the people in this room today? Have any of you looked at one another today? Huh? We are a mixed multitude, folks. Where are you on the scale of sin? Whether you've committed one, anyone committed one sin, just one sin in their lives. Don't all raise your hands up at once. Think of all the stuff in your life. And Jesus dying for you takes care of it. What kind of response should that evoke from you? Continual gratitude for the rest of your life in this world and through eternity. When we see the angels and the saints praising God, like in the book of Revelation, for example, when we hear things, well, we'll be, we'll be praising God for eternity, the only way you're ever going to begin to understand that is in the context of how you've been forgiven by God. It's a beautiful, sweet truth that needs to be emphasized. For all whom the Lord our God will, will call. With many other words, He warned them and He pleaded with them, save yourself from this religious generation. Is that what it says? Well, weren't they thoroughly religious? I mean, 
After all, that's why they're there. It's a religious feast day. It's a festival. They've spent a lot of money getting there. These are very religious people. But he doesn't classify them that way, does he? This corrupt generation. Anyway, those who accepted his message were baptized. That's their response. Not everyone who gets baptized is saved. But many who are baptized are saved. Only God reads the heart. Does baptism save us? No. Following, trusting in Jesus is what saves us. But the obedience, the fruitage of that inner what would we call that? I hate to use the word decision. That inner response is baptism. And 3,000 were added to their number that day. Let's stop there. It's a good point to stop. And next week, we will see what kind of community God has formed with people who are filled with the Spirit, have their sins forgiven. Imagine logistically the logistically, what do you, what would Anderson do? What would you do? Now we got five acres out there that might help you to know what we would do. But what would we do if three thousand joined our fellowship? Huh? What a nice problem to have. We'd be calling the conference office and say, oh, do you know who this is? So all, all the glory goes to God. No matter what challenges it presents for the church. Now, this is one challenge to get so many Jewish believers in. What happens when you get 30,000 Gentiles coming in? So if you think it's a problem with 3,000 Jews, what's it going to be like when we get this massive influx of non-Jewish believers. And what kind of challenges will that present? Well, the rest of the book of Acts helps us to understand a little bit about that. We live in a day and age, folks. You may not know it by what is happening in our church and in Seventh-day Adventist churches, though I was reading about a Seventh-day Adventist lady that has 7,000 members in her church in China. But the greatest days are ahead for all of us. Stay faithful to Christ. Make sure you're following the, G the Lord Jesus Christ wherever He leads you. And as we've seen, and, and we'll see through the book of Acts, many outpourings of the Holy Spirit. Here we're just focusing on one great one, the day of Pentecost. But there have been many outpourings of the Holy Spirit throughout uh, history. So there will be at the end of the age. Sometimes we have our own language to describe that as the latter rain. But whatever way we describe it, it's going to happen. And I want every one of you in this room, if you're living at that time, to be part of that. And it's the ones who, who are taking advantage of the early rain who will partake of the latter rain. Let's pray. Gracious God, we thank You again for the Lord Jesus Christ, His life and ministry, His death on the cross, His resurrection, His his ascension, His exaltation in heaven, and the glorious gift of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, He can take 
these weak words of mine and make them live in the hearts of each one of us. He can take the words of, of a sinner like Peter and make them burn in our hearts. And we thank you and we praise you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Lord, that everyone in this room will know that their sins are indeed forgiven. We don't have to do any works righteousness to affect that, Lord. We just have to say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you delight to answer those requests. Bless this people, Lord. May this week, as we go out into this, uh, to face this new week, Lord, may it be a week of many wonderful uh, surprises in the Spirit, uh, many experiences in, in the Holy Spirit, and Lord, help us to extend your kingdom wherever we go. For in Jesus' name we pray, amen.